Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Well, the Astros are in the World Series, and we thought, hey, there's nobody better to get when the Astros are in the World Series than to talk to the 30-year voice of the Astros, Bill Brown, and also known as the Astros staff photographer intern. Hey, Brownie, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Doing fine. Thank you, guys. If you have any uh, photographic tips, I would gladly welcome them. (laughs) Are you talking about like Snapchat photo with filters and all that? No, I don't have any. Oh, that's that's too advanced for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you, Bill, this is fun. What have you seen just before we talk a little bit about the World Series and preview that? What did you see from this last series that really caught your eye and, and gets you excited about this team? Well, just the, uh, of course, the crowds were, were absolutely tremendous. And, you know, what I saw, I think that that really, and, and you know, it's been pointed out many times, postseason is so different. That was really different was the Astros winning one-run ball games, low-scoring ball games. They didn't really have that great a success during the regular season. At, you know, they had a terrible record when they scored three runs or fewer. But they won those two to one ball games in games one and two at home. And then they had a shutout win in game seven. So things have really turned. The script is entirely different in the postseason, And, you know, the, their pitching was just really something. So that's following the normal line of successful teams in the postseason. I wanted to jump in about that, about how the postseason changed, because, of course, you were broadcasting even in the 80s with uh, Nolan Ryan and Mike Scott and complete games and, and seeing kind of the evolution of the game and how it's changed. And now, I mean, it's almost like A.J. Hinch in game seven, Charlie Morton, just go out there, give me the best that you have. And if, you've got to, if it's three, four, five innings, uh, whenever I've got to pull you and go to the bullpen, it's just it's. And like you said, with game fives now, everything's really changed. And it, it seems it's much harder to win in the postseason now, even, too, because of the additional rounds in the postseason. That's true. And and now, you know, you've got another best of seven series. So a little bit less stress, we'll say, for the managers than a best of five. But nonetheless, you know, there's that urgency. And I was looking at some numbers, guys, and uh, the Yankees hit 159 at Minute Maid Park in the four games. They had a 453 OPS. They scored three runs in four games. Astros pitching was magnificent. They had a 0.75 ERA, walked eight, struck out 48. So it's pretty tough for the other team to win when your pitching is that airtight. Justin Verlander helps too. He does help a lot. Yeah, he was uh, legitimately the MVP, although I thought Jose Altuve was certainly deserving as well. Going about Justin Verlander, what did you think when he was added to the ball club here? Because that was something that everybody's talked about. Two seconds left on the clock. Justin Verlander with that decision to make as a as a 10-year veteran with the, the Detroit Tigers. Just your feelings on that and what he's meant to the ball club since his arrival. When uh, his name surfaced in July before that trade deadline, uh, I started asking some people who had pitched professionally for a long time because my concern was that uh, when he pitched here for Detroit in May, uh, he had a terrible game. The Astros hit three home runs off him in that game. He was not throwing very hard. His stuff didn't didn't look like it was really going to play that well. And uh, at age 34, that was my concern. Is this guy nearing the end of the line? So I chose a couple of professional pitchers that I respect quite a bit. 
does he have anything left in the tank? They both assured me he did. Boy, have we ever seen their words to be true. But uh, that was my concern. But, you know, by the time uh, August rolled around, he had solved the problems that he had had early in the season. So I wasn't that concerned by that time. Um, when the Astros didn't make a deal by the July deadline, I thought they should have. I thought that was the missing part of this team that for playoff success would have been required. But they got it done a month later. So, you know, and, and it's just everything with this team has been totally different since he arrived. And he certainly was not required to get to the playoffs, but in order to win in the playoffs, he was required. You've been around this team a little bit this year. Just out of curiosity, in the little bit that you've been around the, the Astros, can you tell a difference in the maturity uh, of the team because of what Beltron and McCann and Reddick and Verlander have brought to the club? A lot of those things go unseen by the media. And so to answer your question, I would say a lot of that is not evident to me because I think it would be necessary to be in that clubhouse. And so reading some of the stories will give you some insight. And there was a story the other day that you guys might have read about uh, when uh, Carlos Beltran was in the batting cage before a game, the indoor batting cage, he would move way up in front of home plate to hit the offerings of a pitching machine. And Carlos Correa started doing that, too. And according to the story, Justin Verlander said, why do you do that? And Beltran said, I have to get my eye trained to track a pitch that's 95. The pitching machine doesn't throw 95. It's not that fast. So I have to move up closer to the machine so that my eye can track that ball at that speed. I thought that was extremely insightful. I used to see Pete Rose do that over the winter in Cincinnati in the offseason when he would move way up in front of home plate and somebody would pitch to him. It's the same principle. And uh, so Correa picked up on that. He had great success doing it. That's one of those little things that I think you're asking about that we do not know. Uh, we, we don't see it happening. But when the players relate that, you can understand the impact of a veteran. And McCann has done those things, too. I, I think their preparation for games has certainly filtered down to the younger players also. The chemistry with this group, Bill, it just seems like you can't have a closer-knit group of guys. Uh, I thought the 2015 club was that way, and, and maybe the 2016, it was a little bit off, but you know, the 2015 club had about as good a chemistry as I've seen. You saw them more on a regular basis. What are you hearing? Is, is it even better? Is it even different than the group from 2015 and from other groups that uh, – some of the best teams that you've seen over Astros history? I think it's better because uh, that team uh, was, was actually pretty fortunate to be in the playoffs and that team knew it. Um, it was just a wonderful experience for them, but they benefited from that because they really were in a great position, as you know, to win that series with Kansas city. And so the, that loss, I think has helped them to deal with things since then and to understand what playoff baseball is all about. They've had the additional couple of years together since then. They've added key components. Reddick has been very important in this whole thing. Of course, you talked about Verlander and, you know, some of the other guys. Uh, I think Ken Giles has helped as the final guy in that bullpen equation and so on down the line. And Guriel's been very helpful. So the additions they've made since then have really been a key. Judging by this last series, do you think it was helpful for the Astros to go through that experience where being down 3-2, where people are already 
maybe assuming that the Yankees are going to win another pennant to come back from that win in seven. Do you think that there's that can potentially propel them to a World Series title? Yeah, because I think I think quite frankly, a lot of people were surprised they were able to be that resilient. You know, they were a few outs away from going up three games to one and then coming back home, being down three games to two. People were writing them off. I really think that helps a team mentally to overcome things of that nature and come back and win. So I believe that experience, I mean, you know, we, we've all seen this, guys. They've been so far out in front all year long until they got to that elimination game when it was 3-2. They never had a game they had to win. So I would think that they learned a lot from this. Just a gut feeling from your standpoint, how do you think they match up against the Dodgers? Well, you know, I'm not that familiar with the Dodgers. I've been looking at some numbers here in the last couple of hours. I think the Dodgers pitching is awfully good. And that's going to be the same type of challenge that they've had against the Yankees. And that series, the Yankees really pitch well. The scoring runs is going to be difficult. The, uh, the Dodgers, uh, to me, have a dynamic offense, but I was looking at their team offensive numbers, and they are not standout numbers. They have individuals who really have had big seasons. But um, the thing that happens with Dave Roberts is he uses so many different players that um, that cuts in on the playing time of the regulars, so perhaps their totals aren't as robust because of that. But they're, they're a machine. They, are, they have every component of a World Series champion. Whether they're going to play to that or not is the real question. Yeah, their pitching is really good. But one of the things in this postseason, Clayton Kershaw, who's been all world, of course, another 18 and four season, 231 ERA. He's been a little bit pedestrian. Of course, he pitched great in the clinching game against the Cubs, but he's given up, I believe, six home runs uh, in this postseason. So that might be something that if Clayton Kershaw is not as sharp, because we're expecting Clayton Kershaw to at least pitch games one, potentially if they want to bring him back in game four or game five, then he would be available for a game seven. That That's something to look out for in this series. And another thing I wanted to ask you too, Bill, is you covered Enrique Hernandez, Kiki Hernandez, when he was with the Astros. And he's kind of been a special story. He had the three home run game also in the clincher. Yeah, good little player. Um, I really like his personality. He's an infectious guy. It, you know, it appeared that he would be a really good fourth outfielder type guy when the Astros traded him to the Marlins. Uh, it, it seems that he has really taken advantage of the playing time he's had this year. So I think he's probably a little bit more than a fourth outfielder. He's a dependable guy. He's a good defensive player, runs well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with him. I think he really brings a lot to a clubhouse as well. He's, he's just one of these outgoing, gregarious guys. But, no, the, the Kershaw point you're making, RG, is is probably one, and the whole series may turn on how he pitches uh, because he has struggled in the postseason. You're right. And I think another key, you guys, too, is also we don't know the health of uh, Corey Seager yet. And, and just like Carlos Correa on the Astros, I mean, he's really a, a linchpin of their offense. And they were able to get by, I mean, credit uh, Charlie Carlson for coming in and playing really well. Uh, I, he was a leading hitter in their uh, league championship series. Justin Turner has been all world for them, too, as well. I mean, his OPS numbers are Hall of Fame OPS numbers in the postseason. So, But I think it's going to be interesting to see if Corey Seager can play because I mean, again, he's just another one who lengthens their lineup. And you'd think in a long series, too, that uh, if he's not in there, that that could be potentially beneficial to the Astros. Yeah, he's quite a player. Uh, one thing I noticed is that, that his numbers are solid, of course, but he does strike out a lot. And uh, the Dodgers have, have several players who do. 
Uh, and, you know, the Astros were really able to do that against the Yankees, prevent them from putting the ball in play. And that's going to play, uh, I think, in a very large way into who wins this series also. And I think also, too, with the Astros against the Yankees, I, I really thought that the Yankees really hardened the Astros, made them battle tough and ready because they had the, every single batter that the Astros had to face. I mean, whether it was Aaron Judge or Gary Sanchez or D.D. Gregorius to Todd Frazier, Greg Bird, they were tough at bats. They could all hit it out of the park. And you had to be, I mean, playoff baseball, you have to be on with every single pitch anyway. But don't you feel that that also, the Astros having gone through that, it, now facing this Dodgers lineup, that that will help them? Yeah, I think it will. And, you know, certainly that's where they rely on a Verlander. They rely on a Keuchel. And uh, Morton was superb, as you've noted in your previous show. Uh, but I, I think that they will have to be at that level again to win this next series. What do you think is going to happen with the starting pitching rotation? Because this last series, it was Morton in game three, McCullers in game four. We've seen what McCullers has done in a couple of uh, appearances in this last series. He's just been extraordinary. Do you move McCullers to game three? Uh, assuming here, of course, that it's going to be Keuchel and Verlander in game one and two. I would strongly consider that. I think it's going to be very difficult to keep Lance out of the rotation. And looking at it another way, though, <laughs> the way it played in Game 7, you know, that is a, just a dynamic combination of Morton and McCullers and uh, rest for the other guys in the bullpen. Uh, it, it went against the trend. It went against the modern way of managing. But boy, did that ever work. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's like almost tempting to have Lance McCullers uh, coming in relief there and, and being able to at least be that either close out games himself or be that bridge to Giles. Yeah, he's a weapon, and it just depends on how the manager prefers to use him, uh, which will be very uh, much a storyline of this series. So I'm, I'm quite interested in seeing what AJ does with that. It also speaks to the, what you're going to do with the future with Lance McCullers because with all of his injuries, do you think it's better or worse that he is in the bullpen or as a starter, as opposed to being a starter? I would think a starter would be, uh, you know, a better assignment for him. That's what he's always done. I, I think the multiple appearances in, in any given week could be a problem on an arm that's had some problems this year. So I, I would imagine that he will be, you know, you might be seeing him in relief for the last time for a while. I'm just guessing, but we'll uh, on this World Series, but we'll see if he if he even pitches in the World Series in relief this time. What would you do about the bullpen in the World Series? Uh, assuming again, like Giles will be closing. Who are your setup guys? Where, where does AJ Hinch go from here? Because it was pretty obvious that beginning to lose some confidence in the bullpen towards the end of that series. I think what you do if you're in AJ's shoes is, you know, he always um, identifies matchups, and I'm sure he will be doing that now. Uh, for instance, Davinsky. All right, which uh, hitters? on the Dodgers do I want Davinsky facing and usually it would be the left-handed hitters because he's so good against them and because the Astros really do not have a left-handed presence in their bullpen uh, I would imagine that Musgrove again would would be considered as the eighth inning guy or the seventh inning guy Giles is the then a lot of managers just work backwards from that they say well Giles is my closer I've got Musgrove in the eighth I have Devo and maybe Liriano for one batter in the seventh and now who's got the sixth and that kind of thing but AJ doesn't stick to that. He will go ahead and identify a time when he feels it's critical for a certain pitcher to face certain hitters. And if that's the fifth inning, then it might be then that Devo comes in. 
Let me ask you a little history, Bill, because people forget, uh, well, some people might forget, uh, if you if you were around at the time, like you and me, you don't forget that the Astros and Dodgers had a hell of a rivalry, especially in the early 80s. The, the, they faced each other uh, in 81 in that strange uh, kind of strike-shortened split season in the playoffs and, and were ahead in that series two games to none before the Dodgers came back. If I remember correctly, this is going back a ways in my, in my memory. And also that they, they had uh, the, the, the 1980, that strange thing where they just needed one win against the Dodgers in the last three game series, they couldn't win a game. And so they had to go an extra winner take all uh, remind people what kind of rivalry this was. I mean, you sort of came in on the back end of it when you uh, became an Astros broadcaster, but I- I'm sure you remember that those games had a little bit extra heat maybe than some of the other Astros rivals at the time. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. That was a top rivalry. And when I was in Cincinnati, uh, the Reds and Dodgers were a top rivalry. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it was due to the fact that, first of all, the Dodgers had an excellent team. Secondly, Tommy Lasorda, you know, opposing fans. <laughs> he was a lightning rod for opposing fans. And so there, there just seemed always all this publicity and attention to the Dodgers. Uh, you know, they had the tremendous infield. They had Dusty Baker, among others, in the outfield. They they were a, a fine team. And then Valenzuela was such a splash when he came up as a rookie and continued to be good. Hershiser was one of the best around. So um, the Dodgers were always, I think, in the consciousness of other teams in the National League who wanted to go to a World Series. And, yeah, those those series you talked about, the regular season series in eighty. Uh, the postseason series in 81, uh, they're memorable. They really are to Astros fans who have been around for a while. Getting back to the team today and uh, the series and the matchup with the Dodgers, I wanted to just talk about kind of the lineup too once more. And uh, are, are there any kind of bats you're looking at, just maybe from a point of view from heading into the World Series here, that you're looking to think maybe will be breakout bats? I mean, the obvious ones. Jose Altuve has already been phenomenal in the postseason. But is there anybody else maybe on the roster that you're you're zoning in on before the World Series here? Well, with the normal ebb and flow of baseball, I would probably take a flyer on a guy like Josh Reddick, uh, maybe getting hot. Although the difficult part to that statement is thinking about the presence of the left-handed pitchers on the Dodgers. They really have top-notch guys. So, Reddick, you know, but normally. Josh bats at the bottom of the lineup against lefties. So if he can just punch a ball to left field here and there, get on base, and then uh, if he hits second against right-handers, do some damage there. I, I think things will turn for Josh because I think he was over swinging. And in game seven against the Yankees, he did not do that. So he showed some really good signs. I would expect Alex Bregman to have a nice series. Uh, and then, you know, the usual suspects, although – Springer is the guy who I think could really turn this offense around. And George got that nice hit in game seven. If he can build on that a little bit, and he's taking a few walks here too, but um, he and the number two hitter, whether it be Bregman or Reddick, were hardly ever on base in that seven game series with the Yankees. And for the Astros to be successful offensively, they need a a pick me up in that department. Josh Reddick is a guy that, you know, he's a lefty and everybody assumes that, He's not as good against lefties, but he struggled the entire series against everybody, and it wasn't just the lefties that were giving him issues. And this Dodgers, you know, the Dodgers pitching staff is full of lefties, but you know, Redick. Uh, when you look at his numbers throughout the season, it's it's pretty even-handed between lefties and righties. That wasn't an issue before. No, he did quite well, and, and I think 
that's where the manager comes in and AJ would spot him against certain left-handers. And, um, you know, he knows all the numbers, of course, of all the matchups. So if he had had uh, difficulty against a particular lefty starter, he wouldn't be in the lineup. And that's typically what AJ does. But um, that, the luxury of doing that really is something that's it's tough to find in a World Series because uh, Reddick has so much defensive value to the team. And if you're looking at a team that pitches as well as the Dodgers, you're probably feeling you're going to need to win some two-to-one ballgames again in this series. And that means having the best defensive team on the field. You were mentioning that before about uh, AJ having all the data available to him. And that was one of the questions in the American League Championship Series. When do you use the data and when do you go with your gut? Like when Lance McCullers pitched the 81 pitches, could have gone on, pitched further in that game, but uh, Astros took him out. And then there was that bullpen melt meltdown. Then in game seven, he goes kind of with the gut and just lets Lance McCullers ride it out there. Where where do you strike that balance? I think you're, you're just worried about a player being injured because you're putting him under stress for too many pitches. And Lance had not thrown, I think he threw 83 pitches in a game, uh, maybe a couple of weeks before that. Uh, prior to that, you would have to go back to the end of July to find a time when he threw more pitches than that in a major league game. So, you know, with the added stress of pitching in a playoff game, there's a risk area. You know, you're entering the red zone there with Lance, who's a maximum effort guy. And I think his feeling was, hey, we've gotten as much as we have any right to ask out of him. We're not going to risk an injury with him. And we're going to make a move. And at that point, as you guys well know, players make the manager. So uh, if nobody in the bullpen is going to do a job on that particular day, you're not going to win that game. And that's what happened. Does either of these teams have an advantage with uh, either playing in the American League ballpark or the National League ballpark? Do you think the Astros are going to be helped when they do play with the DH over the Dodgers? And RG, you watch the Dodgers probably more than any of us being out in L.A., but... Uh, either one of you, uh, I'm just kind of curious because uh, you, you look at the Astros lineup and usually you think of the Astros and you go, OK, oh, yeah, they could use a DH. But maybe if you take away uh, a DH from, the, you know, that another bat from the Dodgers and, and have the Astros with they're, they're so strong one through eight, maybe that's maybe that is their advantage. I would like for RG to answer first, because I'm not that familiar with the Dodgers. And I'd like to ask him. If they have a DH, who's that extra hitter who doesn't normally play? Who's the DH? Well, I think with the Astros going at right-handed pitching, I mean, I know and Andre Ethier has gotten some starts, but I, I would think it would be somebody like an Andre Ethier, it, d- d- depending on whom they add to the – a lot of it's going to depend on Corey Seager because what I've been hearing too is if Corey Seager is going to be available and playing, they might put him in at DH over the weekend, which means Charlie Culberson would remain in at short, shortstop in the series against the Astros over there. But I think somebody like an Andre Ethier, because he's, if you look at the outfield, if you're putting Enrique Hernandez and you have Yasel Puig and, and you have uh, Chris Taylor out in the outfield, well then you're, you're benching Andre Ethier. He's a veteran hitter. He, he can get key hits and going up against a uh, Dallas Keuchel or a Lance, excuse me, a, a Justin Verlander or a, a Charlie Morton or a, uh, uh, Lance McCullers, those type of pitchers, Colin McHugh, whomever the Astros are going to put in. The uh, Astros have a lot of right-handed pitchers. I would think Andre Ethier would be in there. And RG, uh, I think, and also Robert, I, it's an interesting question Robert asked because for me, and I was thinking about this earlier today, 
I don't know if the statistics prove this out or not, but I've always felt that a National League team going into the World Series has an advantage in terms of the American League team not having the DH in the National League Park. I, I just think that it's more costly for the American League club for the pitcher to hit and not to have the DH. Uh, the pitchers seldom hit all season long. And it's not that you expect them to deliver a hit, but maybe put down a sack bunt. Well, they've had very few opportunities to do that. And also the number eight hitter on an American League club is not used to the pitcher hitting behind him. And the strategy of the other team can be different. They could be pitching around that hitter and he just may not have the experience to understand that he, he needs to take a walk every now and then. Because usually in American League lineups, that number nine hitter is a pretty decent, he's kind of like a second leadoff guy. He can do a little damage. He may run. And, and so the number eight hitter is respected in that regard that he's going to get some pitches to hit. And it's not necessarily that way in a game in a National League park. That's a good point there about that. Because also, maybe that's why you bat Brian McCann eight because he played for so many years in the National League as a catcher for the Braves, might know that, or or Carlos Beltran if he's in the lineup, because those are guys, even Marwan Gonzalez had a little bit of uh, time in the National League, so those guys have batted, uh, well, Carlos Beltran probably not uh, for a long time, but in that eight spot before the pitcher, and that would be something that, yeah, like you were saying there, that that could be... uh, you know, better for the Astros to have that because, yeah, it is a whole different beast hitting in front of a pitcher and then also the pitchers having at bats. And I want to just mention one thing, too, about the Dodgers Park. They, I believe they had the best home record in baseball. So, I mean, they, they do. The Dodgers are constructed. They play. They pitch very well, as you noted at the beginning of the show, Brownie, that the Dodgers have the, the very best pitching staff or one of the best pitching staffs around. And they play really well in that ballpark. And they've had a lot of walk-offs. I want to say 10 or 11 walk-offs this year. So late in games, too, they know how to be in those tight games and, and where it's you know a lot of zeros on the board and, and somebody's got to break through a tight game. So uh, that's another thing that will be interesting to watch. The Astros at least got that experience, like we're noting, at Minute Maid in the close games with the Yankees and going down to the wire. So, I, again, I feel that that will be beneficial for the Astros. There's another minor aspect to it, and that is that uh, American League clubs don't pinch hit very much, but in a series in a National League park, that is something that's commonly done. And so a guy who might normally be a DH comes up as a pinch hitter. He only has one at bat. It's something he probably hasn't done a whole lot this year. Dallas Keuchel, I think, is as close to a National League pitcher as it gets. So I think in game one, the Astros aren't going to see it'd be too bad because he's, he's just, I'm sure he can handle the bat really well and you know, he, he can do all the things that you would expect from a pitcher and probably more so at the plate. So, so that'll help them a little bit. And Beltran has been struggling in the in the postseason. And obviously with Kershaw, it would have been Gaddis. So that's different. But uh, with Beltran struggling and, and not particularly playing well, they're not going to miss it maybe as much when there is a lefty on the mound, or excuse me, on the righty on the mound, but when there's a lefty on the mound, they, they might miss him a little bit. But it's it's different, Brownie, these days more than ever because, you know, they, they change pitchers so often in the, in the later innings that all of a sudden you've got, you know, hitters uh, up there pinch hitting maybe more so earlier in games than you, do, you did in past seasons. Although 
with the Astros, uh, you know, they're hoping their guys like Keuchel and Verlander, those guys can go deep, deep into ball games. Obviously, Kershaw as well. That's true, and I think both teams are going to ride the guys who got them there. So that means if they give up, you know, three runs in the first five innings, they they may just stick with those guys. It depends on what the score would be at the time. But uh, now, now you're at that end series of the season when pitchers could be really tiring. Although. You know, I was looking at Kershaw because of his injury. He really doesn't have that many innings pitched this year, so it could be a little different there. And Keuchel, same thing. So you're not talking about guys who have pitched 250 innings there in Keuchel and Kershaw. But nonetheless, um, it, it's uh, that's why I, I think the World Series is just a fascinating event. It is really fun on a nightly basis to follow it as it progresses. Hey, Brownie, I saved, I saved one of my best questions, I think, for last. And you told us before we started recording that uh, you said that you're, you're going to be there for game two in LA for the Dodgers game. And so I had this idea. I thought, well, what I'll do is I'm going to send you with a, with a little mic so you, we can mic you up. They're going to hopefully put you in a private, some sort of private booth with you and Vince Scully next to each other. And I can just turn <laughs> down the, I can just turn down the audio and I'm like, Oh, I can just go listen to Brownie and Vince Scully talk to each other the whole game. That's better than the, than the broadcast. <laughs> better. Yeah. Why don't I just hand the mic to Ben and shut up? <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear both. You both are great. And yeah, that would be a, you know, they have those on right ESPN where they do those additional audio channels where you can hear like the, the home announcers. I know they do that during like the college football title games. Hey, have Fox do that. We're just mic up both you and Ben. That sounds like a good idea. Well, I, I saw the other day. He, I, I don't know, in his his typical uh, humility, he said something about he wasn't qualified to do the World Series. I'm not sure what that was about. I didn't read the story, but that's typical Ben. Yeah, and I just saw <laughs> recently that uh, I saw recently that he might not be at the World Series. He doesn't want to take away from the moment or take away from anything. And everybody talks about how how humble Ben is. Brownie, but you know, it, then that show a little hubris by Vinny that he thinks he's going to take away from the World Series when uh, the Kardashians <laughs> might show up or uh, <laughs> all the Hollywood celebrities are going to be there. And oh, I don't want to take away too. <laughs> yeah, I think Vin just needs to start his own entertainment channel. Yeah. <laughs> you got anything else, uh, RG? Before we re- we let Billy Bill Brown go. Well, I guess we have to ask you the usual thing, right? What, how do you see this series playing out? What What's your final prediction here before going? I am so bad at predictions, and I would have been totally wrong if somebody had asked me to do that for this last series, the ALCS. Um, again, I think the, the home field advantage, as you indicated, RG, with the Dodgers' excellent record at home, and the way the Astros fans have just helped to lift this team, um, that that's a big home advantage as well. But Again, you know, it's it's what we always say on a seven-game series. For the visiting team, if they can win one out of two uh, to start that series, they're in pretty good shape. So that would be a nice objective. Beyond that, I really – I have no prediction. I'm sure the Dodgers are favored. I did see a little line on that. And um, you did note, I'm sure, that along with everybody else, that uh, it's the first time in a long time that there have been two 100-win teams playing each other in the World Series, 1970, Baltimore-Cincinnati. So I think – That's pretty incredible. Just, yeah, just sit back and enjoy. RG, you've watched uh, these teams. That you, There's probably nobody more qualified that's seen both of these teams more than you have. What do you think? I predicted Astros at the beginning of the season, so I'm just not going to – hey, it's Sports Illustrated, but uh, that uh, they've been rider, right, from a few years ago. Uh, 
called that one. But uh, yeah, we'll just see how it plays out. Like uh, Browning was saying, there it was uh, definitely you know for you know looking ahead at this series, it's it's going to be well played. Two hundred plus win teams, uh, exceptional matchups. I'm really excited seeing hopefully the Astros offense get going. And I mean, at least they have some familiarity with like a U Darvish who pitched in the AL West for a long time, even a Rich Hill who was with the Oakland A's going up against Kershaw. I mean, they're just going to be closing out games with Kinley Jansen. I mean, they just faced Araldis Chapman, go from a uh, Craig Kimball to Araldis Chapman to Kinley Jansen. I mean, it's just pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So yeah, I, I think that um, just looking at yeah, the series. I, I'm just hoping for some great baseball, and of course, for the Astros to come out on top on the end. Yeah, Bronny. One of the things we talked about, and and I'm sure you've thought about this as well, is you know, with all the people that were so upset over the Astros moving to the American League, this is something that you couldn't have done if you were in the National League. You couldn't have beat the Red Sox, the Yankees, and then had a shot at the trifecta beating the Dodgers. The Dodgers, the three most storied franchises. That's an excellent point. And then the other one, uh, I guess, here at the end of the show is at least we'll have, uh, no matter who wins, it'll be the first time in a long time either team has won. The Astros have never won and the Dodgers haven't won in 29 years. Yeah, and just for all those people on the National Fox or whatever, when they put up the statistic, they always put the Rangers having had a longer drought than the Astros. And I don't think there's any uh, Washington National fans that said, "Hey, when they let's let's go to Texas because they they moved over to Texas and because we got to follow the Rangers around." So I I don't think there's the many fans, maybe two or three that are still left that maybe root for both root for both the Nationals and the Rangers. Hey, Brownie, uh, so much fun to talk to you, and of course, it, there's no better time to talk to you. I mean, Astros are in the World Series. Thank you, John. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net.